Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, you're going to hear my conversation with Marcus Cam, who is the senior manager of sports marketing for Adidas China. I had a chance to sit down with Cam when I was in Beijing last month, and he's got some great insight into what Adidas is doing to entrench themselves in the burgeoning Chinese market. He'll also tell us what the main differences are between the Chinese consumer and the American consumer. It's a fantastic conversation, so make sure to tune in during segment three of today's show. In segment four, Sports Sense, we're going back-to-back weeks with the D-backs. Arizona Diamondbacks GM Josh Burns. Last week, we had managing partner Jeff Morad. Josh Burns is going to join me to discuss his team's remarkable playoff run that has them in the NLCS. Burns, who built the Diamondbacks with only a $52 million payroll, also served as an architect for the other three remaining Major League Baseball playoff teams, the Indians, the Rockies, and the Red Sox. At only 38 years of age, Burns is one of the brightest minds in baseball and part of the new breed of MLB's GMs. Don't miss my conversation with Arizona Diamondbacks GM Josh Burns in segment four of today's shows. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to us on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm joined by Nathan Roach. Nathan, at the beginning of the playoffs, we talked about the big market teams that were involved, how this could be a dream playoff scenario for TBS and Fox. Well, New York, gone. L.A., gone. Chicago, gone. Philadelphia, gone. Now you're left with a bunch of small market teams and the Boston Red Sox. I would think the Fox executives are hitting their knees and praying that Boston and the Red Sox nation that follows them so loyally advanced to the World Series. Yeah, the wind has really been taken out of the sails of Major League Baseball playoffs right now. And, you know, even if there was a lovable team from a smaller market, a team that everybody loved and jumped on board with, it might help save it if Boston didn't make it. But right now, Boston is really the only team to watch. If Boston is out, nobody knows about the Diamondbacks. Nobody knows about the Rockies. Nobody knows about these other teams that are now playing for the title. We'll talk about that next in our headline segment. And the other thing we're going to talk about, Michael Vick. Some bad news again for him this week. He could be having to give back a tremendous amount of money. How much money? We're going to tell you coming up in our headline segment next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, 
themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, more bad news for Michael Vick, and this one could cost him nearly $20 million. Already facing prison time, the disgraced quarterback lost the first round in his financial battle with the Atlanta Falcons when an arbitrator ruled Tuesday that Vic should repay much of the bonus money he got while secretly bankrolling a dog fighting ring. Now, this case is far from over. Nathan, the players' union is going to appeal this. They're going to say that he shouldn't have to give back $20 million. But if the Falcons do, in fact, recoup this money, it's going to do wonders for their salary cap situation. And also, it'll just be a real big win for them because this is a guy who has embarrassed their organization. And if they get this amount of money back... You know, personally, I thought maybe if they got a few million dollars back, it'd be a win. But to get $20 million back, that would be huge for them. It'll be a huge win for the Falcons, but a giant loss for Michael Vick. I mean, I have to assume, and I don't know what his financial situation is, but I have to assume that Michael Vick probably doesn't have $20 million stored away. We've seen cribs. We know how these marquee athletes live. And for him to be able to reach into his pocket and pull out $20 million, I don't see that being feasible for him. So basically, the Falcons argued that Vic knew he was in violation of his contract when he signed a 10-year, $130 million deal in December of 2004. They're saying the dogfighting activity predated that. They also said he used proceeds from the contract to fund his illicit activities and sought the repayment of this $20 million. So, again, we'll watch this one closely, but Mike Vick's already going to be serving time. Now he may have to give back $20 million, and like you said, Nathan— I don't think he has it sitting around in the cookie jar. No, and I don't either. The only reason I would say he should have to give it back is if he was using that money to pay for the dogfight and they can prove that, then, yeah, I think he should probably have to give some of it back. Our second headline, Bud Selig, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, is trumpeting that Major League Baseball is closing what was once a huge revenue gap between itself and the NFL. He's saying that the final revenue projections for the 2007 season are going to be around $5.6 million. And this is according to Phil Rogers of the Chicago Tribune. The NFL in 2005 produced revenues of $5.7 billion. Now, here's where I think, you know, they can say they're closing the gap with the NFL. But here's the big difference. Two things. Number one is the NFL makes more money in one year then Major League Baseball will make in seven years from the TV deal, $3 billion. So the NFL is making $3 billion annually from TV in comparison to Major League Baseball. They're making that for seven years. So that's a big, big difference. And the other thing is, if you look at the amount of home games, 
You should have more I, attendance. You have 162 home games compared to 16. I know. I was looking at Major League Baseball has 30 teams that play 162 regular season games a year. The NFL, of course, has 32 teams that only play 16 regular season games a year. I mean, how can you compare the two? That just shows what a monster the NFL still is. Even if Major League Baseball is closing some sort of gap, NFL is just still much bigger. Major League Baseball drew 79.5 million fans this year. That's up 4.5% from 2006. They anticipate to draw 80 million fans next year. So, you know, the good news is they're drawing a lot of fans. I'm going to be interested to see if this George Mitchell investigation comes out and we start seeing a bunch of big names ratted out in performance-enhancing drug uh, scandals. Is that going to affect attendance? Probably not, but it'll be interesting to watch. Let's stick with Major League Baseball. Nathan, as we talked in segment one, several of the big market teams have been eliminated. The New York Yankees, the L.A. Angels, the Chicago Cubs, the Philadelphia Phillies, all big markets. Now we're left with Boston, which is a big market, and the Red Sox have Red Sox Nation, which spreads throughout the United States. But then you've got Cleveland, Phoenix, and Denver, which are relatively small markets, and it's going to be interesting what see what this does for the TV ratings. Yeah, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be able to name four players on the Diamondbacks if I hadn't watched the Diamondbacks play the Cubs. And, you know, I've kind of fallen in love with the Diamondbacks team and the organization and how they play. So that's why I will continue to watch. But you're right. You know, there's a couple feel-good stories like the Rockies with Mike Coolbaugh, the uh, minor league coach that was killed earlier this year, and the Rockies are going to donate his salary or the salary they make to his family which is great, but, uh, you know, there's really, the Boston is, is the savior here. Yeah, the Fox executives are hitting their knees right now, hoping that the Red Sox get to the World Series. I mean, you look at Kurt Schilling, Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, those are household names. We don't have household names on those other teams yet. They're young teams, they're exciting teams, but people, the casual fan does not know them. And keep this in mind, the last two World Series have been the lowest rated TV World Series ever. So, uh, last year with Detroit and St. Louis was the lowest rated ever, and the year before Chicago and the Houston Astros was second lowest ever. So, uh, again, Fox is hoping that that trend does not continue. Well, and, you know, with the Boston Red Sox, even if they make it to the uh, World Series, I don't think that they're going to draw the same viewership that obviously they drew a couple years ago because now the, the interest is over. They've won the World Series. There's not going to be They any, broke the curse. They broke the curse, and there's not as many casual fans that will tune in to see if the Red Sox win it this year. We'll see. The flip side of that is that because they won the World Series, more people became interested in them and have remained interested in them in the last few years. But again, we will see. Sticking still on baseball, the Yankees. Is the dynasty over? Joe Torre's contract probably won't be renewed. Alex Rodriguez and Andy Pettit can opt out of their contracts. Mariano Rivera and Jorge Posado are free agents right now. And Roger Clemens has probably thrown his last pitch for the Yankees. Nathan, when we look at the Yankees next year, it could be a completely different team, not only as far as a manager goes, but also on the field. Well, I'm not convinced yet that Torrey's going to leave. You know, I saw a funny headline today, and Mayor Giuliani was calling for uh, Steinbrenner to keep uh, Joe Torrey as the manager. But A-Rod, I think, is the most likely player to leave. Where he'll end up, I don't know. There's a huge chunk of money involved i know that as a cubs fan i don't want to take him that's 30 million dollars you're going to have to pay to alex rodriguez yeah his agent scott boris is already making the rounds doing interviews saying this is the greatest player who's ever put on a pair of baseball cleats we're starting at basically 30 million dollars a year for 10 years 300 million dollars don't even come to us unless you've got that much money it's going to be a very select market 
Um, and then, you know, we saw all the money that was thrown around last uh, offseason. Barry Zito got paid. Alfonso Soriano got paid. Aramis Ramirez got paid. I think there's going to be as much money, if not more, thrown around this offseason. We will ask Josh Burns, the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, about that very question coming up in segment four. Our next headline, NBA Commissioner David Stern. We had uh, we talked about him at length last week, and his silence is deafening with this Isaiah Thomas-James Dolan scandal at Madison Square Garden. Well, we finally heard from him this week, and he basically said he's not going to discipline the Knicks. And he says, we're focusing on what is appropriate here, what's appropriate as a litigation matter, what's appropriate as a factual matter, and what's appropriate as the NBA policy. He also did acknowledge that he's troubled by the situation and he's vowed more sensitivity training across the league. Sexual harassment is not acceptable in the NBA workplace, and I'm putting this subject on the agenda for the Board of Governors meeting later this month. This is what Stern has to say. Still, Nathan, a lot of people think he is way too soft on this issue. And as we talk on this show all the time, there's the court of law. And there's the court of public opinion. In the court of public opinion, this is yet again another black eye for the NBA and for a team in their biggest market. Yeah, and I don't disagree with David Stern for the most part. I think he's made a lot of great decisions over the last couple years in terms of disciplining the players and holding them accountable. But here's a case where, hey, just suspend Isaiah Thomas or find the next organization. It doesn't even have to be that much, but just to make a point to say, look, we're not, we don't agree with this. We don't condone this activity. You know, Isaiah and the organization, you have to pay X amount of dollars. He's also talked about Commissioner Stern uh, making a mandatory sexual harassment class uh, something that all of the employees of the NBA, about 1,200 employees, would have to take. He's talked about making this a more serious issue in the workplace. I agree with that, but, you know, interesting here. David Stern basically works for the owners. If this were a player, this player would probably be suspended, fined, even kicked out of the league. But because it's an owner, will David Stern issue a different uh, judgment here as opposed to what he would do with a player because essentially this is the person, you know, don't forget, the owners come together and they vote. How much money should David Stern make? Should he continue to be the commissioner of the NBA? Does he want to act harshly against someone who's basically uh, deciding how much money he should make. You know, I'd like to see how this situation might be different if Mark Cuban were the person, you know, were the owner who had gotten busted. You know, Mark Cuban, the, the hammer always comes down on him, and had this been Mark Cuban, would have David Stern done something different? Yeah, you find Mark Cuban a quarter of a million dollars for things not even in the same universe as what has been done here with James Dolan. Last note on this is Isaiah Thomas, I don't care what happens here. This is his last job in the NBA. You can mark my words. There's not another team that will touch him. There's not even a TV network that will touch him. A last headline, NFL, they named Cowboys owner Jerry Jones the chair of the NFL Network Committee this week. He replaces Patriots owner Robert Kraft, who takes over as chair of the league's broadcast committee, and he takes over for Broncos owner Pat Bolin. Jones' main order of business, Nathan, is to improve distribution for the NFL Network, which Nielsen says is in about 44 million homes, far short of the goal they have. They want to be in at least double that amount in the next year or two. Well, Jones gets a lot of stuff done, so we'll see if he can get it done here. Coming up next, Marcus Cam from Adidas China. Interesting conversation I had with him last month in Beijing. We're going to compare the Chinese consumer to the American consumer. You might be surprised. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Back here on Sports Business Radio, and if you are a regular listener to this show, you know that uh, I spent some time in China last month. I went to Beijing. I went to Shanghai. Um, The main purpose of my trip was to get to see the Chinese market firsthand. I had never seen it before. You know, I've heard everything about it. I've read things about it. But as someone who regularly talks about it on this show, I wanted to talk about it from a more informed standpoint. I wanted to see it firsthand. And it was incredibly fascinating. One of the things that I got to do while I was there is I was there with the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. So they had students there. And I sat in on different lectures. And there were people from IMG. There were people from uh, companies called Helios. um, All these different companies that do business over there. And have been over there for the last several years trying to get to know the Chinese market on behalf of their American sponsors. So, you know, being in China is very different than being in America. The American consumer, the Chinese consumer, very different. And we're going to hear about that in a moment when I interview Marcus Cam from Adidas China. We had that conversation when I was there. But totally different. So if you're Johnson & Johnson, if you're Adidas, if you're Nike... If you're an American company and you're trying to do business over there, so many different ways that you can activate your sponsorship. And a lot of people say, well, what does it mean to activate a sponsorship? Well, you spend all this money to get the rights to be a sponsor. Well, if you don't activate it, it's kind of stupid. You're wasting a lot of money. So what people do is they do signage. They do special promotions. They get to use the Olympic logo because they are a sponsor. And there's two types of sponsorships. There's the Olympic sponsorship, so that's IOC, the International Olympic Committee. But then there's also the BOCOG sponsorship. And ironically, there are people that are paying just as much money to be a BOCOG sponsor as an IOC sponsor. And BOCOG sponsors only get to use the Olympic mark in China. But because there's 1.3 billion people in China... Some people say, hey, we really want to focus our efforts on China, and we don't care about having our mark shown around the rest of the world. So they're focusing their efforts on China. Now, Adidas and Nike are opening roughly two new stores a day in China right now. They've got about 3,000 stores apiece over there. And one of the challenges, as you'll hear, is that Retail outlets, if they want to get their their product to market, they've got to open retail outlets. And that involves training because there's a lot of turnover over there. Uh, A lot of the Chinese workers, you know, whether it's working at the Gap or an Adidas outlet, a Nike outlet or a cell phone outlet, you know, there's turnover there. So there's training costs involved. There's not a lot of third-party vendors like Athlete's Foot or Foot Locker. 
So it's very challenging for companies like Adidas and Nike to Americanize their product and get it to market over there in China. So um, without further ado, my conversation with Marcus Cam from Adidas China. Experts say buy what you know, and you know sports, right? But is it a good buy? For an insider's look at sports on Wall Street, Sports Business Radio presents Stock Up, Stock Down. My guest is Marcus Cam. He's the senior manager for sports marketing for Adidas. Uh, we're here in Beijing. Marcus, thanks for taking a few minutes with me. Thank you. So Adidas is growing so quickly over here in China. I heard you talk about 3,000 retail stores. You're opening two a day. Can you discuss the enormous growth for Adidas here in China and maybe talk about in the grand scheme of things for Adidas where China fits into your scheme? Um, I mean, first of all, I think um, a lot has to do with the uh, economy itself. Um, the economy is growing um, pretty uh, solid. Um, it's been always been sort of nine percent in the past, I think, fifteen years in China. So, uh, in terms of sportswear, it comes in. It comes into play where um, people are more um, affluent and people are more aware of um, their health. They do more, more exercise, and we are a very strong brand. So, um, the business is has been doing well. In terms of the grand scheme of things, um, uh, Adidas China, if you look at um, our, our, our growth, um, has been pretty enormous. I mean, uh, if you look at the business that we had in the year 2000 versus the business we had in the year 2006, uh, we've grown 12 times. So, uh, and then we are still kind of maintaining that growth. Um, so it's not really a matter of time. Uh, it's not really like whether we'll be the biggest in the world. It's pretty much uh, whether, when we'll be the biggest in the world in terms of Adidas family. Yeah. One of the things I thought you talked about earlier that was interesting is there's no athlete's foot. There's no foot locker here in China. So if you want to get your product out to the people, you've got to open another store. I mean, we work very, very closely with um, um, our, our customers, our, like sort of our, our retailers, in opening stores. Um, the the advantage, obviously, for us is to um, have um, these sort of mono-branded store. So whenever you go into uh, an Adidas shop here, it's actually a mono-branded environment. So we can create a lot of Adidas experience for our consumers. Um, but it's tough because um, you know when when you're talking about opening your stores, even with your retailers, you're outfitting everything yourself in there. You're training a lot of people in there, so there's a lot of investment that we spend in retail. But retail is very important. That's where the, where the business comes. So uh, we'll continue to invest into that. Yes. Can you discuss for a minute, Marcus, where? Uh Adidas's sponsorship fits in. There's different levels of Olympic sponsorships. Talk about your sponsorship. Okay, currently um, Adidas is the official partner to uh, the Beijing Olympic uh, Games Organizing Committee, so BOCOC. And um, right, right, right now, um, we are at the highest level within the local structure. So if you look at um, the Olympic family or the Olympic movement, um, there are the, uh, the Olympic partner, the top program, where um, you have um, Panasonics and you know Samsung, etc., that Globally, they could use their uh, Olympic uh, association, whereas us, um, we are only allowed to use it in China. Uh, and also, um, to a certain extent, the National Olympic Committees that Adidas work with. Um, with application, they can use the, the, the logo. Now, for us, um, the interesting thing about this Olympic Games, and, and, and this game is probably one of the most commercialized games ever, is that um, um, a local partnership like ourselves, the investment actually um, pretty much rival 
the uh, top program investment. So um, ours only for one country over. So uh, for for a country like this, um, it's, it's, it's pretty mind-boggling when it comes to uh, uh, sort of the commercial uh, factor into this particular uh, Beijing Olympic Games. I know you can't talk specific numbers, but are we talking tens of millions of dollars to have your brand tied to Bocog? Uh, yeah, I mean, we do talk a very, very substantial uh, uh, um, um, value here. And uh, um, I guess, you know, f- that there are a lot of ways now to find out, you know, investments of what the other brands have, or like the, the top partners or local brands. Um, uh, but uh, I, I think with a bit of research, you would get a, a pretty accurate figure out there. And uh, it's expensive. It's certainly the most um, expensive uh, Olympic partnership that Adidas had uh, been involved with. Marcus, what's the biggest difference, in your opinion, between the American consumer and the Chinese consumer? Oh, have you got three days? <laughs> um, um, it, 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 there, there are so many. I mean, from the cultural aspect, from uh, what um, you know, the Chinese people like versus the, the you know the American market, and uh, I think that the most important thing for us is that um, the United States has got a much more mature uh, sporting market, which means that it's dominated by um, you know the few major the, uh, the baseball, the football, etc., the franchises, uh, and then you have very strong uh, college infrastructure, um, and even high school. You know, the AAUs have got a very, very strong structure out there. Uh, whereas China, um, it, it's a, there's a lot sort of um, less infrastructure uh, for sports. Yes, there is, you know, a very strong structure in the, in the highest level and the sort of um, uh, governmental organized level. But once you come down a bit further into the sort of professional clubs in terms of um, grassroots activities, in terms of school sports, it's, it's still quite lacking. And, and, and that's, I think, is one of the key challenges that we're going to face down the road is that, okay, if those structures aren't there, if the structures aren't there, um, how and will we and how can we um, speak to um, our demographics uh, without those support, without the, you know, the, the professional sports or without the, the, the school sports support, uh, which is very, very important. Marcus, uh, a few minutes left. Um, one of the things I've been curious about is a lot of the product is manufactured over here in China, whether it's for Adidas or Nike or, or other companies. Is there any difference in price point because you don't have to export it quite as far? And um, I went to some of the stores last night, and the fabric felt a little softer. I noticed a, a difference in the product from what I would see here is, uh, compared to the United States. Um, what you'll find, actually, in terms of price points, um, the difference is actually minimal. Um, uh, we try to maintain a certain level of you know, uh, not, so price, not so much price discrimination. Um, but in terms of fabric, in terms of patterns, in terms of styles, there are a lot of differences. Um, because um, what you know, an American like might not be what a European like and de- definitely might not be what an Asian like. Um, and that is why, actually, um, for example, uh, in 2006, um, Adidas has actually started what we call um, ADDC, the Adidas Design Development Center in Shanghai, that specifically designed um, uh, apparel and footwear for um, the Asian market. Um, and that is why, because you know, we, we, are, we have a different body shape, we have different tastes, etc. And that's something that we continue to strive for, is to make products that fit the market. 
Last question. Um, online efforts. I heard you discuss some of your online efforts. There are so many people here in Asia, and um, obviously I would think you can reach a lot of those people. Can you discuss some of your efforts uh, online, whether it's for the Olympics or for World Cup? Um, I mean, we, 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 these days for us is more and more about doing uh, things in the new media side. Um, not that we could stop just, uh, investing into sort of the, you know, the old media per se, like television or print. Um, it's just that if you look at um, the sort of numbers of uh, people getting online in China on the, on the wider side, uh, I think uh, I've, got, I've got friends from the States always like look at my cell phone and go, what is that? And I was like, you know, it's, it's a phone. It's like, whoa, it looks like a computer. Um, and that's true. Asia seems to be at a bit sort of um, more invested in that area. And then we need to um, get ourselves on that uh, quickly uh, to utilize and leverage that, that sort of new media and the wireless technology out there available. So they're downloading clips. You know, we are very interactive stuff that we can just on a phone. Um, uh, Investment-wise, I think we're tilting definitely more and more towards that. Um, and uh, we're seeing some results. Um, it's going to take a bit of time because down to consumer behavior, whether uh, I'm used to uh, watching a clip on the phone versus I watch on television. But um, I, think, I think it's getting there. Yeah, I think it's getting there. Marcus Cam with Adidas, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks very much, and I'm glad to be here. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Josh Burns. He's the GM of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Josh, first, congratulations on the incredible run uh, the Diamondbacks are on right now. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, uh, we've, we've sort of stuck up on a few people, but... Uh, Colorado Rockies certainly know us, so it should be an exciting series. You know, I've got to ask you in your heart of hearts, a lot of people at the beginning of the season talked about the Arizona Diamondbacks, the team of the future, this young, bright, talented team. In your heart of hearts, did you ever think that you'd get to the NLCS this soon? Yeah, I thought we could. And we spent uh, a lot of energy, uh, particularly in spring training, talking uh, amongst ourselves and, and uh, the reasons why we could do this. And as it turns out, with surgeries to Randy Johnson and Chad Tracy and Orlando Hudson, um, I'm not sure I could have predicted this given those uh, 
health problems, but uh, we found a way. Yeah, and you've flown under the radar. I mean, most people, if you had asked someone to open up the newspaper at the end of the season and said, who has the, who's the team with the best record in the National League, a lot of people wouldn't have guessed the Arizona Diamondbacks. You've done it under the radar. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, our success and, and, and even the quality of the division uh, maybe was missed. And, and I think even as we we had success, people kind of poked holes in it and talked about run differential. And, and uh, I think uh, those who watch the NLS day-to-day uh, realized how hard the wins were in this division. So uh, I feel especially proud we were able to win the division. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, building of a team. Um, you did this with a $52 million payroll. Jeff Morad was on the show last week, managing partner, Arizona Diamondbacks. He talked about the debt that was left over after the Arizona Diamondbacks won the World Series in 2001. There's still debt that's being paid off. You've done this on a shoestring budget. Can you talk a little bit about the philosophies and, I guess, the challenges of having to do this with a payroll that's not the payroll that the Yankees or the Red Sox would be able to have? Well, it's um, obviously uh, some things we've had to prioritize. We, we've done historically, even preceding my arrival, we've done a very good job with scouting and developing. We've been effective in the draft. We've been effective signing uh, international players, and our development staff's done a good job. Um, when, when in the, in the last couple of years, we spent a lot of energy trading. Um, with a couple things in mind, the one sort of trying to coordinate some more talent with uh, the young talent. So a guy like Chris Young certainly comes to mind, kind of placing him with the guys already there, and then uh, trying to find starting pitching, um, trying to buy low at times. Eric Burns is a non-tendered player, and you know, for the most part, we're not going to be involved in, in free agency. I think of the last two billion spent on free agents, we've spent about two million of that. So. Uh, we're, we're accessing talent in different ways, and uh, again, a lot of it is, is the old-fashioned ways. Just players who uh, have been here uh, their whole careers, and, and you know, more than half our roster is homegrown. And, and uh, a lot of the, the improvement is through evolution rather than sort of a, a big bang move or two. You know, it's interesting to me, Josh, a few years ago, all we heard about was the separation between the big market teams with the big payrolls and the small market teams. We'll look at the remaining four teams. Three of the four teams have payrolls, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in the lower third of baseball's payrolls. That says a lot about uh, the structure of baseball, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's very unusual. Uh, Even over the last 10 years, uh, teams in the lower third, you know, maybe one team makes the playoffs, but for three of the final four is unusual. And I think that, you know, the game has changed. And and seven of the eight teams this year in the playoffs were not in the playoffs last year. Uh, You know, the new collective bargaining agreement, I think, makes it a little uh, more possible for all teams to to get in or turn turn around fairly quickly, like the Tigers from 03 to 06. And um, you know, I think through it all is, is sort of some commitment to growing your own talent and, and not just to manage payroll, but to, to use the players. And, you know, certainly we've promoted guys like Mark Reynolds and Justin Upton, the Rockies, Abado Jimenez, Franco Morales, and, and even the Yankees and Red Sox in season, you know, did more promoting than trading in order to, to, to finish the job. 
My guest is Josh Burns. He's the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Josh, some people are calling these the Josh Burns playoffs. You've had a hand in building the Cleveland Indians. You started there as an intern back in 1994. You moved up the ladder as an assistant GM with the Colorado Rockies. Then you moved on and worked for Theo Epstein with the Boston Red Sox. Pretty remarkable that the final four teams, obviously the Diamondbacks are your team now, all have your imprint on them. Uh, talk about that if you would. Well, it's it's uh, it's definitely caused a lot of reflection, and uh, you know I, I feel happy for a lot of people. I, obviously, I know uh, the other three organizations very well. Know a lot of people. Know a lot of the players, and, and I'm very happy for them. And, and uh, it's kind of neat. I mean, it's great to to get this far to begin with, but to, to do it against the people uh, I know so well and have, have great relationships with, it's fun. Uh, and, and you know, that being said, I think we're we're, we're determined to try to be the last team standing, so it'll be fun to uh, try to win eight more games. How did you personally decide, hey, I want to be a, a GM or I want to get into baseball management? And obviously you started back in 1994 with the Indians. Well, I, I think even at a young age, it was something I was always interested in. Obviously, I was busy playing baseball and, and uh, uh, going through school, but just sort of uh, you know playing Stratomatic and, and, and putting a team together and wheeling and dealing and you know, reading a lot about uh, the sport and the business always intrigued me, even at a young age. And then uh, Ron Shapiro, um, Mark's father, who's a very established agent, a very respected person in the industry, uh, attended my alma mater, Haverford College, and, and he ultimately was the key to me getting in and getting uh, connected with the Indians. And, and uh, uh, I was very fortunate to run into Ron, and he helped me along the way. How often do you talk to some of your counterparts, Theo Epstein, Mark Shapiro, others like that? Quite often, and you know, uh, this time of year, I think like text messages uh, about five minutes after a big win. So I think we're all we're all watching each other and rooting for each other, and it's a, it's a very fun time of year. And, and uh, uh, you know, very happy for those guys as they continue to win these games. Have you and Theo discussed the possibility of a, a D-backs Red Sox World Series at all? That's got to come up in conversations, I would imagine. Yeah, I, as it does with. Uh, uh, you know, Mark Spiro, and uh, you know, I spent six years with Mark in Cleveland, so it's it is it's very familiar footing right now, and, and obviously the Rockies, uh, we know those guys well too, and, and uh, you know, we play them every morning in instructional league, so it's, it's uh, it is kind of eerie and familiar, but uh, it'll be a fun uh, fun series, and hopefully we can advance and uh, try it in Cleveland or Boston. Let's talk about your team for a minute. I know we talked about him a moment ago, but you've got the core. Stephen Drew, Justin Upton, uh, Chris Young. Then you've got guys like Brandon Webb, uh, Eric Burns, who you mentioned earlier, um, that are kind of more of the seasoned veterans. Talk about this this mix of talent that you've put together. And, um, you know, you go out and get a Doug Davis, uh, Levon Hernandez, guys that other teams didn't want, but now they're thriving in your system. Yeah, I think... um you know, a couple of things. I think we wanted to get as many players in place that we actually could have for a few years and create, create some stability that way. So that's been important. And then, you know, probably the hardest thing to do is is, is to get a quality pitching staff in place. And, and I think we, uh, um, you know, we're fortunate to get Doug Davis and LeVon Hernandez and the stability they bring. Brandon Webb uh, is, is starting to get the recognition he deserves as one of the best pitchers in baseball. And and then the things you can do to, to help a pitching staff, um, I think we put a very good defensive team on the field, and, and we put a lot of emphasis on that. And uh, I know Jim Henry of the Cubs remarked that uh, we have three center fielders running around out there, and, and that's what it feels like sometimes. So 
Um, you know, I think a lot of, as much as uh, baseball can be analyzed piece by piece, sometimes I think there is uh, there is a fabric here, there is a team dynamic, and I think uh, our pieces fit together well. Describe your approach to your negotiations with your players. I mean, you know, I've had Ned Coletti, uh, Kevin Towers on this show before, and, you know, some GMs take a hard-line stance and there's no room for negotiation, and others are a little bit more flexible. What's your approach? Well, you know, I certainly... Uh, you know, have a good relationship with our players and, and a very honest relationship. And when it relates to their contracts, sometimes these conversations can be a little more difficult. And um, you know, in general, I think we're we're, we're very forthright and honest about um, what we're willing to do and, and how it fits into uh, our payroll model and, and our reasons behind it. And um, you know, I think that's all we can do is, is explain our rationale and, and, and demonstrate the spirit of fairness and and uh, you know, obviously, sometimes that works, and, and sometimes uh, you know players say no, which is their right. So, um, but uh, I think we're we're very thorough in our process and very open with our, our rationale. One of the tough things about having a young team and young group of guys coming up at the same time is their contracts expire around the same time, and then they get onto their second or third contracts, and that's when they start getting big money. Have you planned for that day, or do you have any concerns that when you know, you're know Stephen Drews and uh, Justin Upton's Chris Young's, when their contracts are up and they go for the big payday, you're going to have to pay a lot of guys at one time, or do you not think about that yet? Uh, we think about that, and, and you know we, we uh, certainly look at least three years out, sometimes longer, and, and you know certainly emulate the uh, success and challenges of other teams. That when you know a young team breaks through in, in year one, what is the how does the team evolve in the years four, five, and six, and, and the decisions that are out there on the horizon? So we're cognizant of that. Um, we're, we're somewhat staggered with these young players how they progress towards arbitration and free agency. But as you said, in general, as a group, uh, you know that. that that day is on the horizon where we're, you know, they're going to be on the eve of free agency. My guest is Josh Burns. He's a general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Josh, we've got just a few minutes left. You know, again, we had Jeff Morat on the show last week. He was a sports agent. He's now working with you, managing partner of the Arizona Diamondbacks. What's it like having Jeff in your organization, someone who used to sit on the other side of the table, now he's on your side uh, in team management? Thanks, tremendous. I mean, Jeff, you know, first and foremost is, very bright, very fair, um, very thorough as, as we go through everything. And I think with that, I think he, with his experience, he understands the, the complexities of our business and what, you know, obviously we're going through, what an agent's going through, what a player's going through. Um, and that none of this is easy as, as we sort of try to make decisions bit by bit that make our organization better. Um, that it does require a, a thorough strategy and, and implementation. So I think um, Jeff understands how hard the business is and, and understands it from a variety of perspectives. I want to talk to you about the economics of baseball for a moment. Last offseason, we saw lots and lots of money thrown at free agents, everyone from Barry Zito to Alfonso Soriano. A-Rod could hit the open market uh, if he opts out of his contract. Do you think we're going to continue to see huge amounts of money thrown at free agents in the future? And if so, what does that do for the economics of uh, baseball? I think it's it, we're sort of in an interesting uh, time in the game because, uh, you know, a lot of teams, again, by virtue of the collective bargaining agreement, have probably shown a little bit more wherewithal and willingness to retain their own. And uh, obviously it affects free agency, it affects supply and demand, um, and maybe in the short term leads to some excessive contracts. But I think 
you know, we're all reflective and maybe see some contracts that don't work out well. So it's interesting. I think free agency uh, is different than it was five, six, seven years ago. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting if supply and de- demand continues to drive up prices or if, uh, if clubs are a little more hesitant. Yeah, it should be an interesting offseason to watch. Josh, thank you so much. Best of luck in the NLCS. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's a steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest, you go online to mortons.com. Again, Josh, I know you're very busy this week. Thanks so much for making some time. Okay, thanks for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. All too often, great ideas from the boardroom go unrealized. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every week on Sports Business Radio, I talk to owners and high-level executives who are responsible for overseeing multi-million dollar businesses. And guess what? Sometimes they can't achieve everything they'd like to on their own. That's why I want to tell you about a company that's helping senior-level executives realize their potential and meet their business objectives. Sockeye Inc. is a strategic consulting firm that advises executives on three primary issues business development, corporate social responsibility, and project management. Whether it's providing a critical outside perspective or if it's just making sure your project is delivered on time and within its budget, Sockeye Inc. is the company to turn to. As a high-level executive responsible for making key decisions every day, you need trustworthy counsel that will help make your great ideas a reality. To learn more about Sockeye Inc. strategic consulting services, visit SockeyeNorthwest.com or call Sockeye Inc. founder Joe Vaughn at 503-780-3032. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, continuing our baseball theme this week, we look at some interesting numbers collected by CNBC's Darren Ravel regarding how much Roger Clemens wound up costing the Yankees this season when it's all said and done. You know, we all remember the immense hoopla around his signing. We talked about that a lot on this show, Nathan. Clemens joined the Yankees on May 7th of this year, but the clock started ticking on June 9th when he got called up. Since the Yankees' season is based on 182 days, that means Clemens' salary of $28 million was prorated to 115 days. And remember to add the 40% to Clemens' salary because the Yankees had to pay a luxury tax. So Clemens, when it was all said and done, cost the Yankees a total of about $24.7 million. And this is from a guy who broke down during his one start in the postseason. Nathan, break down uh, the per pitch, per inning, per start, per win that that cost the Yankees. These numbers are astronomical. Per pitch, Clements made $15,047. Per inning, he made $245,213. Per start, $1,375,921. And per win, he made $4,127,763, which is probably more than most of the Arizona Diamondbacks players make per year. Well, it's worth noting that the Cleveland Indians, who beat the Yankees in three out of four games, their best starting lineup, $28 million. So basically, the lineup of the Indians is the same as what the Yankees had to pay Roger Clemens minus about $4 million. Not a very good uh, expenditure, and that's why a lot of people are saying paying Alex Rodriguez 30 to $35 million, as great as he is, has Alex Rodriguez ever won a World Series? Has he ever been to the World Series? No. 
He's a tremendous individual ball player, but if you're going to pay someone that much money, you're taking away from where you can put the money and spread it out on the rest of the yeah, team. Yeah, you've got to perform in the postseason. A-Rod has not done that yet. If you're making that much money, you have to perform in the postseason. Lots of thank yous for this week's show. Our guest, Josh Burns, the GM of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Marcus Cam with Adidas China, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Joe Vaughn, and Doug Zanger, our sponsors, Morton's a Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Sockeye Inc., a podcast reminder you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. I'm looking forward to bringing you my conversation with USC head coach Pete Carroll on next week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Until then, have a great week. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.